You've heard the phrase, guard your soul, or God loves your soul, or Jesus died to save your soul. We toss around this word soul a lot in religious circles. We have a body, we have a mind, we have emotions, but what is our soul? People often assume the idea of a eternal, non-physical existence that humans living on after death, apart from their bodies, as disembodied souls forever and ever. That's a really important idea in the Bible, or a main teaching of the Bible. And uh, I certainly thought that, till I actually started to read the Bible. I'm John Collins, and this is the Bible Project Podcast. And today, we're going to talk about how you don't have a soul. But you are a soul. So Tim and myself and the rest of the Bible Project crew have been making a series of videos on biblical words. The word we're working on now is the Hebrew word nefesh, which in our English translations of the Bible gets translated as soul. But it is actually hardly ever the meaning of soul in the Bible. How do biblical authors use this word nefesh? What are they imagining? And what does it mean for us as humans? be a soul. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Okay, we are going to talk about the soul. Yes. The human soul. Because this is what we like to do on an average day. Yeah. Talk about I'm in, I'm in bi- cr- biblical words. I'm incredibly excited about this conversation. Yes. So the motivator is a word study. In the word study series, we're doing a video on the fifth key word in the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, with all of your soul. soul, and then with all your strength. So right now for us, real time. Soul is the next one to come out in a month and a half or two. Okay. And there you go. We're having the conversation about the meaning of this highly misunderstood word in the Bible. Yeah. And um, why are you so interested in this? I feel like you have been for a long time. Yeah. So where does that come from? from, from well, you? I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested in the the human experience. <laughs> and, you know, I've always been confused hmm. by what we mean when we say soul, hmm. how that's different from spirit. Hmm. I remember talking to a guy I really admire as a thinker, as a Christian, and he was talking about, you know, your body, your psyche, your soul, and your spirit. And it seemed like he had these really clear categories in his hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't have that clear of categories. Yes. I think, I mean, I understand body. That's really clear. Yeah. Psyche starts to get a little less clear huh. or mind, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. kind of have a handle on that. Mm-hmm. And then soul, just it kind of gets really blurry. Mm-hmm. But I have this fairly typical understanding of your essence, this like disembodied essence that mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. that... You'll carry on with you forever. It seems like that's typically what people are talking about when they mean soul. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and then that gets 
complicated, I think, for many people when they encounter popular presentations of like brain science or neuroscience, things that are able to explain what often or historically has been understood as non-physical something like mind, right? you know, or reason. Uh, and then there's a whole movement that says, no, actually, even what we can experience as not being a part of our bodies, like our thoughts, are actually products of synapses firing and chemicals mixing in our brain. Yeah. It's material. It's material. And then I think for many people that creates maybe some sort of crisis or at least a, a tension in their worldview. Wait, I thought humans were both material but also something non-material. Yeah. And how does that work? Then? How does that work? I think most people would say, yeah, we're material and non-material. But then if you really try to drill down and get a handle on what that non-material part is, yeah. it's a complete mystery. Yes. And people often assume that the idea of a eternal, non-physical existence that humans living on after death, apart from their bodies, as souls, disembodied souls forever and ever, many people assume that that's a really important idea in the Bible or a main teaching of the Bible. And uh, I certainly thought that mm. and until and I actually started to read the Bible I remember even before I knew anything about Greek or Hebrew, and I became aware that the word soul was being used in the Bible not the way I used it in English. And then as I learned more, I realized what most people mean by the word soul, that disembodied living on forever and ever part of you, is actually hardly ever the meaning of soul in the Bible, if mm. at all. I realized mm. it was the whole point of debate. Uh, you can count on one hand the key passages that seem to describe that. So, um, yes, it's both. I think both it leads to misunderstandings about the human person, and also that idea has led us to misunderstand much of what the Bible has said. And I, I start to sound like a broken record at some point. It's sort yeah, of like we talk about that a lot. There's a cultural gap between us and the Bible and its authors and how they used words and la their language and culture. And so it goes both ways. We impose our concepts of whatever onto these texts and make them say what we, you know, they might mean in English. So we're both distorting what they say. That happens very often. And mm -hmm. also we miss out on what they were trying to say in the first place. Mm. <laughs> so it's like a double, double whammy. It's a double whammy. Uh, we, we distort what they're actually saying and we miss what they wanted to say. Yeah. So... I have found that kind of have to do a, both a demolition job and a rebuilding job when it comes to the, the word soul in the Bible. Before we demo the word, I always like to try to understand how we got the word in English. Yes. Yeah. I so, have a bit in the notes, but I'm sure you, you have, have more. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Just... There it is. Saul. Mm-hmm. Eighth, eighth century old English word. Yeah. It's actually first attested in Beowulf. This is from the Oxford English Dictionary. This is the first time that word shows up is in Beowulf. Yeah, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it's first l literary usage in a text that we can date it's to the 8th eighth, eighth century. So what that means is that people were using it mm -hmm. and long then, before that, right. but it 
it's, got into literature. It can be tracked here, and that and so that's very clearly referring to some non-physical yes essence of a living being. Correct. So that yeah. was a category in the eighth century. Yeah. English. Yeah. Now on the etymology dictionary online, it says that it also might be a Proto-Germanic word, mm -hmm. and it may even come potentially from a German word that means sea. Ah, did you huh. see that? Huh. I did, yeah. And there are other roots that people think are even older. Okay. Um, this is just, it's a first appearance in English. In English, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it seems like this word has existed in European languages, referring to a concept of a non-physical disembodied you, the essence of you mm -hmm. <laughs> that is not physical and therefore can survive death. And so let's assume for the sake of argument, because we haven't looked at the relevant verses yet, but that the Bible actually isn't talking about some disembodied part of you when it talks about the soul. Yeah. Um, where would that idea come from? Well, the main concept, it comes to us from Greek culture and philosophy. The idea, it's a classic idea in Plato and Aristotle of the immortal soul. And they use the Greek word uh, psuche to describe that. But it's uh, eternal, non-physical. It exists after death. And in fact, in the philosophy of these great teachers, the material world that you and I experience is just a second-rate kind of shadow world. Yeah. And the purest, beautiful, most pure, beautiful form of existence is non-physical. So for them, our souls were actually all this language of, I'm a soul trapped in a body, mm -hmm. or your soul escaping the body, mm -hmm. or imprisoned in your body. That's all part of this heritage of... of From Plato and Aristotle. Yep, of Platonic philosophy. Mm -hmm. that your, our physical existence is, is less than, and what's true and real is what's not physical. And they called it the, the suke? They used the Greek word suke. Which, which is close to psyche, which is more mind. Yes, it's exactly, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, yeah, there, you'd have to track the history of how, how the... Because our word psyche mm -hmm. in English is just that Greek word spelled with English letters. Yeah. So, but that refers more to our mind. But now it refers more to our mind, um, whereas it, uh, in their philosophies, it was the essence of the human, the non-material essence mm -hmm. of a person. So um, it's very fascinating how cultures develop yes. this idea of what we are as humans and what mm -hmm. categories there are of our humanity. Yes. And so I think what we're interested in is... What is the what are the categories that the Bible presents? Yes, and yeah, what are the, what do they mean with those categories? And, and as we're going to see, both in the Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek, there is a category that this word can be used for to describe the enduring human person after death. Mm -hmm. It's it's very rare. Hmm. These words occur hundreds of times in the Bible, mm -hmm. and there's a small handful of times where it seems to pretty clearly refer to a human. But using the word human, because <laughs> human means body, right? Uh, for us, the word human is also the body. Right. But it's the endurance of a person, a living being, mm -hmm. 
through death, um, always in the hope of resurrection, of re-embodiment. But all that to say is there's a there's at least kind of a crack in the door in the Bible for those Greek concepts to get imported in, mm. creating the mess, I think, that we have today, which is r- reading the, these Greek ideas back into the into the biblical usage. Hmm. But to get there, you have to kind of walk through the storyline of how this word develops its meaning and so okay. on. So here's some basics about this word, these words in the Bible. Um, so the English word soul, if you like do uh, online Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible search, you can search the NIV translation. Um, you'll see the English word soul appears nearly a hundred times. So that's a lot. The word soul appears a lot in mm-hmm. your NIV translation. 72. Although of- not... For the, for the Bible, you would think it would be more. Well, yeah, is yeah. that the whole Bible? Or is that the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a search in the New International Version. In the, the Old and New Testament. Oh, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Yep. So we're talking like forty yep. something books. How many books in the Old Testament? Twenty four. Oh, I'm way off. <laughs> Twenty four books. Yeah. Well, uh, that's count. I'm sorry. That's counting um, the Book of the Twelve Prophets. It's counting all the ones and twos as one. Oh. I so think. where does that get us at two? 39, 39 in the Protestant Bible. But 46 in the Catholic. Once you combine... The book of the 12 Oh, prophets. yeah. Once you combine the books in the Hebrew tradition, you get 24. Okay. So, let's say 24 for yep. the Hebrew tradition. That means in every book, the word soul will only appear an average of four times. The English word soul. The English word soul. Mm-hmm. And for a book that's about, you know... About what? <laughs> where are you going to go when you die? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, all right, I see where you're going here. Yeah, like you yeah. think it would be more interested in your soul. Interesting, yeah. If the Bible is primarily telling us information about what happens after you die so you can get ready for that. And what to do now. It's yeah. odd that the word soul doesn't appear. If more. I was writing the Bible, <laughs> the word soul would show up a lot, Fam- I think. Famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> if I had my version of the Bible... <laughs> There That's would funny. be, yeah, a lot more talk about yeah. your soul. Let's keep, because you got to put these numbers in perspective. Okay, so the English word soul appears just under 100 times in the mm-hmm. New International Version. 72 of those times, it's translating the Hebrew word nefesh. Mm. So, let's talk about the Hebrew word nefesh. The Hebrew word nefesh occurs... 754 times. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. In the Hebrew Bible. So just stop and think about that. So this Hebrew word. Okay, this Hebrew word nefesh. It's one of the most common words in in biblical Hebrew. It's used a lot. (laughs) Other than like God. Oh yeah, what does that compare to? What other type of words are used 750 times? Oh, got it. Oh, it would be, I mean, very common words, you know, like place or walk. Okay. Or once you get like the words God... Or Those are, yeah, you're up in the thousands. Like see or said, then yeah. you're up in the thousands. Yeah. Okay, so we have this, the, the word mm-hmm. nefesh, it appears mm-hmm. 750 times in the Old Testament, 
but only 10% of the time, one out of 10 times, is that word translated soul. Yeah. So remember, what translators are doing is they get a sense of the range of meaning of a word. Mm -hmm. That in different contexts, the same word can have different nuances. It's true in every language. It's true in English. So they, depending on context, they'll use a different English word to get at a different nuance of meaning. Hmm. So I have this little chart in front of you. It's give the, mo- the standard, most common translations of the, the word nefesh. The most common English word, actually, that translates it is the word life. Mm, life. life. Then second comes soul. Then after that comes me. <laughs> <laughs> then comes lives or living, the, the living. Mm-hmm. Then the pronoun I. Then heart. Heart. Then That's them, an interesting choice. Yep, then themselves, you, people, anyone, and then the chart shades off. <laughs> and there's yeah. there's about 50 other different English words that are used to translate it to really niche context words. So here's Sheesh. the point. This word is really plastic. It's really broad. And broad. So what we want to get at is examine that broad usage to get at the core ideas underneath. And then see how these are all legitimate it's translations. Kind of like, yeah. It's kind of like opa in Greek. Opa. <laughs> it means like all these different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember I was I was in Greece and I was trying to figure out what it meant. And I asked this guy, Stathi, I was like, what What does it mean? And he goes, uh, just pay attention <laughs> and you'll figure it out. Sometimes oh, he didn't it, tell you. He no. was just like, just watch how people use it. Sometimes and, it's like, oops. Yeah. Sometimes it's stop. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, hey, you. You know, oh. it's like all sorts of things. Opa. Opa. That's great. <laughs> That's a great example. That's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very plastic word. Yeah. So, yeah, here you go. It's a very broad word. Most, all languages have broad words. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the English word life is fairly broad. Yeah. I can talk about my physical life mm-hmm. or all my life, meaning years. Hmm. All the years I've been alive, mm-hmm. I can talk about get a life, which is like have a social network. Mm. <laughs> Here, let's run with this a little bit. This is a good example. Think of yeah. the pie chart we'd make. Okay. So life, it would be your physical existence, mm-hmm. the length of your existence, like time duration, mm-hmm. your so your quality so, of your existence, the quality of your existence. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also just mean like organic compounds. Organic, oh yeah, bi- like biological life. Biological life. Um, it can refer to your social network, get a life, mm-hmm. meaning get some friends, or mm-hmm. not on your life. <laughs> not on your life. What so on your... Mean? The uh, worth, like the worth or the value of your life. Yeah. Your life the has value a value. of your, your, your being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We use the word life in really different ways. And is that, and that's similar to Nefesh? Yeah. Because it actually is one of the translations of Nefesh. It's one of the translations. That's what made, yeah, made me think of it. Got it. Yeah. That's helpful. So here's some famous Bible verses where Nefesh occurs that, to me, raise some of the interesting questions. One of the most famous Bible verses in pub- American popular culture. Yep. Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my nefesh. Mm, my soul. 
It refreshes my nefesh. And that's usually, and that verse is usually translated soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he refreshes my soul. Mm-hmm. And then he spreads a table before my enemies, that kind of thing. Now, it's interesting. The Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie down, green pastures, quiet waters. The whole, what's the governing metaphor, obviously? Yeah, you're a sheep. Is that I'm, yeah, the me in, of the poet is a sheep. So what then, if I'm a sheep in this poem, mm-hmm. what does it mean that I eat green grass and drink water? My nefesh is refreshed. <laughs> or it's just, it raises the issue like, oh, soul. Does the normal meaning of the English word soul really help us? Oh, I see. Understand the the imagery of the poem. Yeah, it almost seems like he's turning a corner here and he's like, you would expect him to say like he takes care of my body, but instead he's like mm. refreshes mm-hmm. my soul. Yeah, okay, Which good. Which just makes it feel like he's just make, getting really spiritual. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, isn't that funny? If, if we said he refreshes my body, yeah, it would, yeah, I, yeah, it would feel less yeah. Bible-ish or something. I'm, I'm laying down in green pastures. That's cozy. Yeah. I'm, I'm drinking these quiet waters. It's refreshing. <laughs> and uh, my soul is refreshed. And so now my body's, re- I'm, it's like, but no, my soul is refreshed. My soul. So by saying soul, uh, in English, what do you, I mean. What, but this is a metaphor. Yeah, We're sure, not sheep. Sure, yes. So he's just like, it's not too surprising that he mm-hmm. would say soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my nephesh pants for you, my God. My nephesh thirsts for God, for the living God. Hmm. So you have a panting deer that is likened to my nephesh panting for God. Hmm. And then my nephesh, if you have a deer panting by a stream of water, mm-hmm. what's it likely going to, it's thirsty. It's thirsty. Yeah. So then he, the poet develops the metaphor, metaphor my nephesh thirsts. Yeah. It both pants and thirsts mm-hmm. for God. So God is depicted as a source of life Mm-hmm. That can, similar to Psalm 23, refresh. Mm-hmm. Refresh. In the same way that water can refresh the physical something, so God can refresh and bring life to a nephesh. Okay. And we might be tempted to say, oh, sure, water is physical. God is spirit, yeah. so he refreshes the non-physical part of me. Right. So that's what we... That's what we think this might be saying. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's actually saying? So if you look in all the standard Hebrew dictionaries, the will point out is there's a number of times where nefesh is used uh, in its most basic meaning, which is throat. Its most basic meaning? The most basic and meaning. By most of, basic, you don't mean translated the most, because that's life. Nope, that's right, yeah. By what most do you mean basic, by most basic? Uh, this often happens. Do you remember when we talked about glory? Mm-hmm. And, and weight, and, but its most basic meaning is heavy, heavy. or weighty, mm-hmm. and it's what you're looking for is a nuance of meaning that can explain conceptually to be like the conceptual bedrock for all the other nuances of meaning. Oh, okay. So it's not like the word originally meant this, and over time it developed. It's that of all the ranges of meaning for how this word gets used. Oh, this one. Kind of links them the most. Is the one that's like, it's the one that connects them all together. Well, throat doesn't seem to 
connect them That's at all. That's why this is such a great conversation. I remember being so bewildered when I learned Hebrew. And Well, uh, who decided it meant throat? Well, you people who looked at all the uses of nefesh in the Bible, uh-huh. and they found instances like this. Numbers chapter 11. The Israelites are in the wilderness saying, this is great, was one of their complaints in the wilderness. <laughs> uh, and they say, who will give us meat to eat? Ah, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Free the, fish. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our nephesh has dried up and there's nothing to look at except this manna. <laughs> <laughs> And so what God goes on to do is to give them meat in this story, and then it's paralleled with the story soon after about God providing water for them. Mm. So this becomes the complaint that governs God's response, which is to give them food and then water. But our nephesh has dried up. Mm. Um, Our soul is dried up. Yeah, such an interesting metaphor. Our nephesh is dry. So obviously he's not talking about a disembodied... Uh, yeah. Entity. Yeah, clearly. Because they're talking about how hungry and thirsty they are. Yeah. Whatever their nephesh is, their nephesh. They're not using it as a metaphor. Their nephesh being dry is a description of their hunger and thirst. Hmm. So interesting. English translations go different ways here. The New American Standard translates that as our appetite is gone. Hmm. So they basically, if paraphrase it, so you no longer even know the word nephesh is being used there. Yeah. Appetite. So what part of the body dries up when you're hungry or thirsty? This yeah. I mean, it's fairly intuitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, your throat. Yeah, your throat. So I don't know why they didn't say, look, our throat is parched or our throat is dry. Hmm. Isaiah chapter 58. This is a, a promise on the other side of exile, what God is going to do when he restores his people. And it's Isaiah 58:11. Uh, the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your nephesh in scorched places, giving strength to your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that never fails. So if like you're living in a, this is, this is like post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Babylon just burned, you know, your whole countryside and cities to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything to hope for? And God says, yes, he's going to satisfy your nephesh in these scorched places. What does that mean? Strength to bones and lots of water. You'll be like a watered garden. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's actually, he's flipping the metaphor. You'll both become, your nephesh itself will be restored, and then you will be a source of restoration for elsewhere in the land. He goes on, and you're going to rebuild the cities and rebuild the ancient ruins and so on. Hmm. So your nephesh will be restored, and then you will become a source of restoration for others. But once again, it's this this image of dry, right? Mm-hmm. And nephesh. And then the opposite of it is some very these very visceral physical images. Yeah. Bones and water. Let's keep going. Go down to these two alternate translations, Psalm 69. These, okay. these are the ones when I read these and I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. Okay. Um, the opening sentence of Psalm 69. And actually, uh, you'll depending on what translation you're reading, it will affect uh, mm. what you get out of here. That was interesting. 
So in the New American Standard, the poet says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. Threatened my nefesh. Threatened my nefesh. Yeah. There you go. So, so the NIV has a different translation, and then what it shows us is that the New American Standard has once again kind of paraphrased out of existence the original metaphor here. Mm-hmm. NIV reads, Save me, O God, the waters have come up to my nefesh. And that's literally in Hebrew, the waters have gone up to the nefesh. Mm. So So if nefesh just meant life mm -hmm. and it was a metaphor or soul, then you would say, what does that mean that the waters have come up to your soul? Oh, (laughs) well, I guess you're just kind of threatened. So we'll paraphrase it. They've threatened my life. Threatened my life. Yeah. Or, and... Yes. But NIV is saying, oh, nefesh actually in a basic way just refers to your neck. Yes. And that's what he's using it as. Yeah. Neck. Yes. So it's a, it, but it is a metaphor. He's describing an act of drowning as what his life feels like. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go on to say, you know, his enemies are after me and they're slandering me in public. And hmm. so drowning is a metaphor for just a, a really, really bad day. <laughs> in the life of the poet. Mm-hmm. But the metaphor he uses is a literal description of drowning. <laughs> yeah. Water is coming up to the nefesh. So here we have, so your nefesh can be dry when you're hungry and thirsty, or you can drown waters coming up to your nefesh, or in that example in Psalm 105, describing Joseph when he was sold into slavery by mm-hmm. his brothers. It's, again, uh, different translations here. In the New American Standard, Joseph was sold as a slave. They, his brothers, afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid up in irons. That's how the New American Standard reads. New International Version. Joseph was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His nephesh was put into irons. Hmm. It's literally what it says in Hebrew. Hmm. Um. And then you get it. So his, his neck. His, he has shackles on his feet, mm-hmm. and then he has a neck, a big neck shackle hmm. around his nephesh. So nephesh clearly can refer to your throat. Yes. Your neck. Yeah. I still understand why that's the most basic. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, these are the only times that nephesh is referring to a specific part of the body. Hmm. So clearly it's referring to your neck and your, th- and not, but not your neck like Joseph. Your neck's put into irons. Yeah. Then what you have is references to panting, your nephesh being dry, dry and yeah. thirsty. Yeah. And so it's the same word for neck and throat, nephesh. Ne- that's right. Yes. Yeah. And there's, there are other words for neck and for throat. Nephesh oh, seems really? to both. Mm-hmm. Nephesh is, bo- is somehow referring to it as a holistic whole. Hmm. There's a Hebrew word for neck, mm-hmm. and there's a Hebrew word for throat, mm-hmm. and then there's nefesh, which mm-hmm. refers to as a whole. As a whole. but And as we're going to see, it can sometimes refer to just like the physical piece of flesh around which you could put a shackle. Yeah. Or what we would call the esophagus. Right. <laughs> is, your, is the nefesh. Okay. But your esophagus is really important, like really, really important. Yeah. As your whole body. Hmm. Um, and so this is where... You can also refer to nefesh as a metaphor to describe what goes in and out of your throat. This is interesting in light of some of the conversations we've had about ruach before. Hmm. So look at, um, this is 
uh, number two on the handout. Uh, the example, Jeremiah 15, 9. He describes how terrifying it's going to be to live in Jerusalem when Babylon comes to town. And he says it'll be like a woman who gave birth to seven sons, but she'll breathe out her nephesh. Her son will go down while it's still day. So uh, to breathe out is the verb form of the noun, hmm. nafach. Um, it's the same thing that God does to the lump of clay in oh. Genesis 2. So those, are, those have similar roots then, nafach yep. and nefesh. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's nafach. Oh, no, sorry. It's a different root word. Oh, but, sounds um, He's using it for alliteration, oh. poetically. Got it. So she nafachs her nefesh. Hmm. The first two letters are the same. So nefesh here refers to what goes in and out of your throat, mm -hmm. namely breath, which is how most English translations go. She breathes out her last. Oh, so it's she's not breathing out of her she's neck. She's dying. She's breathing she's, out her life. She's describing a woman who's given birth to many. She's given life to others, but now her life is going out of her. She breathes out her nephesh. And that makes it seem like some disembodied. Yeah, it makes it seem like like spirit, ruach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ruach. And so remember like Venn diagrams for words here. Yeah. So ruach refers to the invisible energy mm -hmm. that can yeah. go out of you. Mm -hmm. um, and nephesh, and all these uses that we've looked at, it's referring to the body part. <clears throat> your ruach goes in and out of your nephesh. Um <laughs> But nefesh can refer to the, like, the physical thing. It can also refer to the passageway in and out of the nefesh that goes in and out of your body. Mm -hmm. That's like your life, so your lifeline. Yeah. I think we're going to lose people who ha with the ruach thing. Oh. Ru ruach. Yes. It means Sorry. Yep. breath mm -hmm. or spirit. Yes. Or, or wind. wind. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. but it can mean your life breath. And God gives you your ruach, and he can take it away. Yeah. And so breathing out your ruach is a very typical thing. Yeah. But for death, for dying. For dying. In the Bible, you, you give up is your a, ruach. Is, is a, yeah, something, yeah. Is, it's a phrase that's yeah. used. And so here's a poetic metaphor of a woman breathing out her, and what you would expect is breath. Hmm. But what she breathes out is her nefesh. Which is a weird thing to say. It's just weird to say. I'm like I'm dying. I'm breathing out my neck. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work in English. It doesn't work. In it Hebrew, makes me feel like I don't have a head, and I'm just breathing out my neck. Right. <laughs> it's like is that what instead you're of squirting about? blood. Ooh. Yes. So here, something's developing here, where your nephesh is your throat, okay. and breath and food. Come yeah, it's very connected to breath. In and out. Because that's where your breath comes in, yep. is your throat. That's right. Um, but now here's a sense in which we're connected still to the throat. Mm -hmm. You breathe out. But now nefesh is being abstracted to refer to your life. Hmm. And as we're going to see, that is actually the most common main usage of this word is just to refer to I see. physical life. So... There's this basic meaning of the word, and by basic meaning, it's the most plain, it's the most concrete mm. meaning? It's the most concrete. Um, it refers to an actual physical body part. Yeah, it refers to something physical. And, and from that, 
we, you get all these abstractions. We can abstract out and understand how all the other meanings are linked together. In that way, is it kind of like heart, the way that we use it in English? Mm. Because mm. I was thinking about this because we did the heart yes. video. Yeah. The, the fact that we use the organ heart to represent feelings, if you were an alien from outer space looking yes. at that, you would just be like, what? Yeah. Why that organ that's pumping blood? Correct. Why is that? Well, how did that become the abstracted right. idea of yeah. the embodiment of your feelings and emotions? Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, how does your throat become this yeah. abstracted idea of like <laughs> life life and yes. your personhood? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yes. That's what's happening right now. But it actually makes more sense because (laughs) you breathe in and out of your throat. Yeah, that's right. And it connects your ruach to your body. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this important passageway. Yes. So you have this essential passageway in your body. Yes. One of the most essential parts of your existence. A very delicate part of your body too. Yeah. 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 It's very essential. And so... If you were to choose a body part to abstract away <laughs> yeah, just to life repre- in general. To represent your physical life. Your physical life. Yes. That would be a good contender. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Not like this was chosen by committee or anything, but I'm just imagining no. like a committee sitting down and being like, guys, I think we're going with heart. We're going to go with that organ. This makes the most sense. It's red. It's yeah. just, it beats. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I feel pain in there sometimes and anguish. I think this mm-hmm. is the best. This mm-hmm. is the best one to go with. Another great example is uh, the word intestines in biblical Hebrew. Um, there's a couple times once where a guy gets stabbed in, in his the gut. stomach with mm-hmm. a, from the butt end of a spear, and mm-hmm. then like his intestines spill out. It's yeah, gross. It's gross. Um, but the word occurs many other times, but it, it's almost never translated intestines. Um, it's translated my inward being. Mm. Uh, and it's because it's almost always used in metaphors of anger, anxiety, or fear. Mm. Yeah. Or strong affection. And so it's another one of these examples where talking about, we call it a queasy stomach. Mm-hmm. It's an actual like, mm. it's a physiological yeah. response yeah. that our bodies have when yeah. we have extreme emotion. Yeah, na- nausea. Nausea. Yeah, or just queasiness yeah. or a butterflies. We call mm-hmm. butterflies. Or butterflies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try and explain that to an alien. <laughs> I have butterflies in my stomach. Um, so in, bi- in biblical Hebrew, that's just where you feel strong, your most intense emotions in your mm. guts. In your gut. So once again, yeah. So when you want to describe your physical existence as a whole, as we're going to see, you use the word. Th- no, but throat. there's a word for body already. Yeah. Which yes. is what? There's a few. There's basar, which means like flesh. Hmm. You can describe the meat of an animal <laughs> mm. or it can describe your, your bodily existence. And then in uh, Greek, there's a, a few words too. Soma is mm. the most common Greek word right. in the New Testament. Um, so uh, again, as we kind of have to... Like tr- why wouldn't they just use that word? If yeah. It's, it's like instead of using some new fancy word mm-hmm. and... And turning it into your this idea of your body. Well, yeah. So, but body is talking about the meat on me. Yeah, you know, the muscles. That's a that's different than flesh. my vital sense organs. Mm. Like the throat's connected to my head, 
and my torso. Hmm. And so there's this sense of the centrality of this part of my body mm. to my whole existence. Mm. It's me. Got it. If you talk to me, you don't look at my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You look at this thing supported by my nephesh, my head and my hmm. face. That's interesting. So like, yeah, you've got this sense of you, where you're looking from and hearing from. It's all up here in your head, which is connected to your body yeah. with your nephesh, which yeah. is then connected to... Your, this really central part of you, your chest, where yeah, you're breathing. Where the heart is. And your heart so, is. You yeah. get stabbed anywhere in this region, head down to here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. It's over. It's game over. Yes. Uh, so this is like the most central mm-hmm. part of you mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. So, yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to have a word that means my physical existence. You wouldn't s- develop a meaning out of bicep. <laughs> but throat, um, there's something essential about the throat, the essence. Yeah. I mean, and so that's in... in so a, so does it mean like the essence of me then? Like the... the... Mm. Uh, well, uh, we have to keep going, but it, it, it does mean the essence of a person, mm. but it doesn't mean non-physical. Um, actually, nefesh primarily refers to me as a physical organism, mm. a living physical organism. Mm -hmm. It's one of the great ironies of Bible translations is that the English word soul primarily means Uh, Mm non-physical essence, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas the biblical word nefesh primarily means your physical essence, Mm. the opposite, Mm. which is why when you start tracking with these appearances of the word soul in the Old Testament, you'd be like, oh, that doesn't mean a non-physical part. My hmm. soul pants after you. So, uh, okay, onward. Onward. So, because a body part then can come to symbolize your life mm-hmm. essence as a mm-hmm. physical being, seems this is how the nefesh can refer to then me as a whole physical embodied being. So, for example, um, when someone's one of the most common phrases for somebody trying to kill you mm-hmm. is they seek my nefesh. Mm. Um, when David is being hunted by Saul in the wilderness. He gets reports, Saul is seeking your nephesh. Hmm. And in English, these you'll know you're at this phrase, whenever anybody is seeking someone's life. Hmm. This is why life is one of the most common translations, hmm. seeking your life. To murder somebody is to strike their nephesh. Hmm. This is what, oh, when Joseph, he gets kidnapped by his brothers, and what they want to do is kill him. Mm-hmm. But would they end up throwing him in a pit instead? And it's because his brother, Reuben, said, what? Don't strike his nephesh. Hmm. So that's a good example. To strike my nephesh doesn't mean to... It's the very opposite of saying, don't strike the non-physical part of it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. 
I mean, like, so you know how in planes, the yeah. the flight attendants will say there's 300 souls on board. Oh, oh, yes. Yep. Um, now, yes. Now, you could say they're referring to the non-physical part of you to be like, hey, these people are really important. Mm-hmm. But what they're really referring to is that there's 300 people. People. That's right. Yes. But they're using something, the essence of them mm-hmm. to communicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, why couldn't Joseph's brother be doing the same thing? Like, I'm going to use the word that represents the most important part of him, the permanent part of him, his his nefesh. Yes. If he did mean soul in the sense that we understand it. Well, uh, uh, part of it is actually that th- there, in the because of the King James translation, the King James translation rendered many of these occurrences of nefesh as soul. Mm-hmm. And they clearly mean the physical embodied person. Um, in King James? In King James. And then the King James... Because that's what it meant back then. Be, it had that double meaning in a oh, sense. Oh, well, this is where I, I actually think the King James influenced the history of the English language. In other words, through the King James, the Hebrew meaning of nefesh ended up entering the English usage for a time. Hmm. And it survives in... I see. It survives... Like in pilot talk. In like whenever <laughs> a leader of a some kind of vessel yeah. <laughs> oh, describes how many humans are on board, they'll say there so were the, 200 souls. So the Hebrew meaning of soul... Influenced... In, influenced... The history of the English language. The, the, in, the English word soul, yes. which typically meant more of disembodied from like Beowulf. Correct. Now all of a sudden they realize, oh, this yes. means actually more than yeah. that. And yeah. then that usage slipped in mm-hmm. when it became yes. captains of yeah. ships. And that nuance of meaning has all but died out in common English usage, except when we're describing how many people were on a boat or a plane. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. Yeah. Boats and planes. So they're not just being spiritual up on planes. No. And no. in boats. They're just using... No, it's a remnant of 500-year-old English. Influenced by the King James Bible. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of stuff like this. The history of... That's the word nefesh in, in normal day English. Yeah, yeah. So that's an example of a great biblical use of nefesh in normal English. There's 272 souls. Nephi. Souls. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, he, what's plural nefesh? That's right. Um, okay. So that's... Yeah, there you go. The embodied embodied life. So here's something that's interesting. This is point four. You can say you can strike someone's nephesh. It's their embodied life. Mm-hmm. It also, it's not just humans, though. On page one of the Bible, the waters teem with living nephesh. Hmm. Um, let the waters teem with living nephesh. Then um, later on, let the land produce living nephesh. Hmm. So first it's sea creatures. Now it's land animals. And then in Genesis 2, God breathed into the Adam, the human's nostrils. He ne- nefashed or ne- nefacht. nefacht. Yeah, the breath of life. Mm-hmm. And the human became a living nephesh. Hmm. So this is something humans share in common with all other creatures, that we are, we are a nephesh. That's um, interesting. So, so humans don't have... A nephesh. <laughs> um, 
humans along with animals are a nefesh. Are a nefesh. I didn't make that up. That's a summary I read in a dictionary somewhere. But that was helpful for me. Hmm. We should have started there, Genesis 1 and 2. I feel like mm. I feel like this whole time I'm like, I don't know. I feel like this could be a big, big misunderstanding. But here in Genesis 1, the waters were teeming with living nefesh. Mm-hmm. The land produced living nefesh. Mm-hmm. And then God breathed into man's nostrils, man mm-hmm. being Adam there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the man became a living nefesh. Yeah. So that's obviously not talking about a soul. No, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. The human becomes animated by God's ruach mm-hmm. and God's breath uh, or spirit and that. That whole conversation that we yeah. had a long time ago. Right. And when you are animated by the gift of divine, like all living creatures are, mm-hmm. and, right, animated by God's spirit, then what are you? And what is the bird? And what is the salmon? We are living nefesh. That's, it's what we are. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is dismantling <laughs> <laughs> my concept of of the human experience, the human person. Well, and we're not done yet. We're not done yet. <laughs> we'll, I mean, we're hopefully starting to rebuild. At this because, point. <laughs> but I know. Well, I think the demo is almost complete because I, I mean, this picture of God takes a dom dirt, mm-hmm. literally dirt. Mm-hmm. Is that what that word means? Right. Mm-hmm. He takes dirt. He breathes in it, ruach, mm-hmm. his ruach, mm-hmm. and then we become a living nefesh mm-hmm. in the same way that a fish or an animal is living nefesh. Mm-hmm. That is the biblical kind of anatomy in a way, or like the biblical yeah. Yeah. sense of like who you are. And mm-hmm. nowhere in there is some like sacred spirit or soul you're like, yeah. I mean, you have the breath of life, God's yeah, breath. That's right. But that's, you, not, that's not But that's you. not you. That's, that's not yours. That's the animating energy yeah. that keeps you alive. Keeps you alive. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, and we'll, so what do you have left? Well, you have dirt that's now a living mm-hmm. soul. Great. Mm-hmm. I'm organic compound walking around <laughs> animated by God's breath. Yeah. It's that's a, very, a lot less yeah. uh, yes. sexy than I'd like it to be. Well, you know, not, or, that's a bad I don't word. know. It's, it's very earthy. It's and very it's, earthy. And it's intuitive. I yes, think. but it's just not the category I've had in my mind. Okay, sure. Right? Well, okay. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll give you that. And it's not as mysterious or something. It's very mm. kind of like, oh, mm. feels very, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm dirt animated by yeah. God's breath. Yeah. And in the estimation of page one and two, pages one and two, that is... I want to think of myself as more than that. Yeah. You, well, you are. You're God's royal representative. You're a remarkable. Well, that's my vocation. Remarkable creature that has the unique capacity and role to. But I could have give. I could build a robot and tell him, "Now you're my image, and go do my job for me." <laughs> right? But it's just. But it's now. It's just metal and circuits, and I feel like what makes me feel special mm. and more than just. Mm. Mm. A robot or an animal mm-hmm. is this idea of having uh, a soul. A soul. Yeah. Got like, it. you know, the Pinocchio thing of like, you're a puppet and now I'm going to yes, endow you into a, this. Well, okay. So uh, this is interesting. Genesis 1 puts 
animals and humans on a spectrum. And what makes humans all different is not that they have a soul. Right. They're, they're all living nefesh. Yeah. Um, what sets the humans apart, yeah, is their capacity and responsibility to represent God. Yeah. And God's creative, gracious rule. And yeah, that, that's right. So, yeah, so you feel like it's a demotion. <laughs> You're getting demoted. It does. To become more animal-like. Yeah. And where it's funny, I think the intention of Genesis 1 is the opposite. Well, sure, yeah. Is to promote humans to right. a, a special role mm-hmm. that they are both like the animals. Mm-hmm. They come from and go back to the same place. Yeah. But they have a different role and responsibility. Hmm. So I'm trying to understand what is... It's just your categories are getting reshuffled. Yeah. And if I ha- if, if one of those categories is this non-physical part of me that lives on mm. forever, that represents the real essence of the who real I am. Me. Yeah. The real me. Yeah. And it's kind of infused into this body, mm-hmm. but, uh, but can also be separated from the body. Mm-hmm. If I begin to identify with that thing, and that's the thing that I feel like is the deepest, most meaningful part of me. When I use the word soul, I mean like my deepest, yes, the deepest me. Yeah. And now you're telling me, no, you don't have that. Well, um, or just that the thing that is that. Is your body. Is deeply connected to your physical embodied existence. It's not separable from your embodied existence. It's inseparable. It's inseparable. That's right. This is why the ultimate hope for humans in the Bible is not living a disembodied existence. It's resurrection. Hmm. It's embodied existence, hmm. which is which is having a nephesh. <laughs> yeah, having a nephesh. The, right. The end of the biblical story is is nephishes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Embodied humans mm-hmm. inhabiting an embodied physical world. So anyway, that's to get ahead of ourselves for the moment. And the conversation's not over. Yeah. Gotta let let but um but for okay. the moment you're right. What the reorientation that has to take place is that humans do not have a soul according to at least in the Old Testament. Humans are a nephesh. They are a soul. Hmm. Soul is our English word translating Hebrew word <laughs> that describes me as a whole living, breathing physical organism. Or your neck. or your neck. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. Tim and I will continue this conversation on the next episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might also enjoy Tim's podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible. It's a collection of his sermons and teachings from over the last decade. The Bible Project is a nonprofit, crowd-funded project here in Portland, Oregon. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, and we're committed to making free resources like videos and study guides. And it's all because of the support of people like you. Check out what we're up to right now. Download resources at thebibleproject.com. Thanks for being a part of this with us.